Top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening, my name is Scotty and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Chip Time. We are fired up today, even though the show is guestless today, we are fired up. A lot to get to in the world of track and field, and also Coach's Corner will be back today. That's right, Coach's Corner is going to be back with a topic that is going to be beneficial for anyone out there, whether you are a serious runner, whether you're a collegiate athlete, or if you are just more of the casual fan of the sport doing some local races, this is going to be a topic. We have handpicked this topic specifically to kick off season two here, so I'm excited for that. We also will be going over the Oregon Relays from last weekend, some of the major results, and a big a big kind of storyline that I teased in the last episode that we're going to get to fully dive into, and just to tease it right here, it is going to feature a, uh, a plan that I have for the NCAA competition committee to how they could potentially uh, improve the current system we have. So we're going to leave it right there until later in the show, but I'm excited to make my my Shark Tank pitch to the NCAA competition committee. And once we get to the end of the show here, as I sit here now, we're kind of in the middle of a lot of the big track meets going on this weekend. So it's going to be kind of a hybrid preview of which events have not yet taken place, but I'm not going to break down any of the results that have just happened on Thursday or early Friday from these meets, because that's not going to really be a clean way to book market for next week's show. We're just going to wrap up all of that in next week's show once these meets have concluded. And the last tease for the next show is just the fact that we're going to have a little bit of uh, race planning from your boy for my season opener, late one this year, but it's going to be a 10K race a week from Saturday. So it is going to be May 7th uh, in White Lake, Michigan. So very excited for that. And I'm not going to talk about my, my training or anything today because it'll all feed into that race plan. The only the only spoiler alert I'll say for now is that I had a good workout today. I had a good uh, session dipping into some threshold stuff and we'll, we'll break that down fully next time. But we got to start where I led off the agenda overview and that is with Coach's Corner. We're back with Coach's Corner. And for those who are new to the show here in Season 2, this is a segment that is designed to do two things, primarily. I will say three things, actually. Uh, number one, it is designed to educate you, whether you are a new runner or an experienced runner, with some important training advice. And in today's, I'm especially excited about number two, it is designed to remind myself 
to be doing these things because if I am telling you guys to do something in your training and I'm cutting that corner myself, then we wouldn't be able to call this Coach's Corner. It would be called Coach's Corners That Scotty Is Cutting. And I don't want to rename the segment. It has a nice ring to it with that alliteration. So we're going to stick to that. And reason number three we do this segment is because when I don't have a guest, we need to fill some time. And that is where this started in season one. But as it has evolved, it's just been very beneficial for me because this in no way is me lecturing to the people that I know everything about running. And if you do these things, you will be successful because I am a gold medalist and this is how I got there, right? In reality, this segment is really me learning through my experience of making mistakes and also echoing my experiences of some successes. And so my goal here is that we can learn together and, you know, I always drop the email address of the show at the end of each episode. I really want to hear from you guys if there is anything you want to piggyback off of these principles, anything you'd like to hear more of, or anything you disagree with. If you train differently and something works for you, I would love to have it here on the show. But for this first edition of Coach's Corner, I handpicked this topic because I feel like it is one of the most not only important aspects of training, but it is also one of the most overlooked aspects of training. And it's going to be a a couple parts. Uh, We're only going to cover the first part of it today. But the principle we're going to start this season talking about is recovery. We're going to talk about recovery. And, you know, we hear that word and we think recovery is lame. Recovery is the afterthought to training. I want to go out, train hard, hit those threshold sessions, do speed work on the track, do hill work on on the dirt roads. I want to be pushing it on the treadmill. I don't want to think about recovering. You know, I want to do X, Y, Z in my training plan, and then recover if I have time. If I happen to have all seven days of the week to run, I'll throw in one or two recovery days, but I don't want to do that. Maybe no one can relate to those hypotheticals, but I I certainly can from my younger days as a teenage runner, and even now with, with the limited time with a career and other responsibilities, you wanna just go out and really hit those hard sessions if you only have four or five days a week to run. But the reason we're starting here, and I am dead serious on this point, and I I would be really shocked if someone disagreed with me on this, is because if you don't recover properly, you will not perform to your maximum potential. In other words, if you, well, well I, didn't even, I didn't even say what we're, we're going to be covering today from recovery. So I got a little ahead of myself on my notes. 
pillar number one of recovery that we're covering today is going to be sleep. No one wants to talk about sleep. No one wants to think about it when it comes to running. But if you do not get adequate sleep, you can throw everything else out the window that we're going to cover this season for Coach's Corner. So we're going to be talking about sleep. And just like I said with recovery, maybe not having the most widely, you don't open your arms wide when when you're excited uh, about running, talking about recovery, you get excited talking about your PRs. And I feel like that with sleep, that trickles down from other parts of society. You're, you're looked at as weak if you are prioritizing sleep um, versus like reading more or like working out more or doing these things extra that are going to give you career success. And I think a lot of the, the driver of that is that you can't see with your eyes the benefits of sleep. It's invisible. It's intangible. It really goes through the neuroscience of your brain, but it's not something you can see like your muscles getting bigger or your bookmark getting further in the book you're reading. We like to see tangible progress. And even with running, your training log, your Strava, you get those miles that add up and you feel like I have achieved something by getting these miles in. And so sleep for many of us can be sort of an afterthought. But when we really look at it, we got to remember that broadly speaking, human beings are hardwired to sleep for eight hours a day. Generally speaking, our our biomechanics are set up in a way that we're supposed to live life for about 16 hours and sleep for about eight hours. So about a third of our life is hitting the mattress and the pillow. So besides a less than ideal athletic performance, like I alluded to, why do we need sleep? Well, we'll start with the athletic performance because we're, we're certainly concerned about that with Coach's Corner. Um, I don't need to dive into it too much because you can fill in the blanks yourself. But think about those times when maybe it was finals week at school or your job was busy or you had something going on. That week of training where you didn't get adequate sleep, you probably weren't getting great training in Either And my hand is up because I was not someone who got great sleep in a lot of my college career. But think of times when you may have gotten better sleep. It's not just a benefit for running. It is a benefit for your overall life. And we're going to dive into some of our reasons. And, and just to be clear... I'm not going to hit the the actual neuroscience of everything because I don't know why anyone would want to hear it from me and I don't want to do that kind of research. But I, the main point I want everyone to take away from this is we are starting with sleep because if you don't get your sleep, you can throw out everything else 
we're going to talk about on this show. If you do the basics, if you get in your mileage and your diet is decent and you get your sleep, that is a better way to become physically fit than all of the fancy schmancy shortcuts. These these kids with their crazy shakes they're drinking and instead of sleep they're doing two hours of like meditation and whatever whatever shortcuts you think there may be you got to remember we're human beings we're wired a certain way using that word loosely wired and why should we try to reinvent you know the way our biomechanics are designed so as far as the negatives the sleep deprivation side of things i got a couple things to toss your way if you're not getting adequate sleep these are some symptoms and effects that could be coming your way memory issues trouble concentrating mood changes higher risk of car accident weakened immune system weight gain higher blood pressure and higher risk of heart failure these are all long-term things if you're not getting your sleep it's not like one day without great sleep is gonna cause you memory issues but over the long term these are some of the symptoms that your brain is having negative effects by not getting the rest it needs and there's a lot more to it than that because your brain is active while you're sleeping that's why you have dreams but it needs to be in that state that sleep state and in all the different cycles it goes through to be healthy it's it's kind of like getting your oil changed in your car or flushing the trans fluid if you're not doing that, your car's not going to last as long as if you do take care of it. So speaking the obvious here, the benefits of sleep are the complete opposite of those. You're, you know, have better memory and you're uh, more likely to have a better immune system. So instead of talking about those opposites, I want to close up this segment of Coach's Corner with some fun facts that you may not have known about sleep. So the first one, now this one scares me a little bit. Giraffes only need an hour and 45 minutes of sleep per night. I don't know if I'm impressed by that efficiency or if that scares me. But on the other hand, brown bats need 20 hours of sleep that is uh that is crazy and, and man giraffes are huge so that one surprised me quite a bit here's another one sleeping on your stomach can aid digestion that one surprised me quite a bit don't tell my chiropractor that, that was one of the things he pointed out to me in the fall that that may be causing me some some minor spinal <laughs> issues but hey at least my digestion is all right. Uh, here's another one. The ideal amount of time it should take you to fall asleep is 10 to 15 minutes. That one interested me because that is about the amount of time it takes me to fall asleep. 
um, probably not even 15 minutes. And when I talk to some people, they've looked at me like I'm crazy for that and, and say that they might lay there for an hour most nights before falling asleep. And I would have my theories on that. Um, I didn't really dive into the specifics, but uh, one thing is if you're in front of screens quite a bit right before you go to bed, it's probably going to take you longer to go to sleep. And that, that is something in, in my life I police pretty hard. I usually read a little bit before I go to sleep. Uh, a couple more here. The next one I have is, oh, this one's interesting. Within five minutes of waking up, 50% of your dream is forgotten. Yeah, I vibe with that one, and it really grinds my gears. When you have a good dream, or like at least an interesting dream, and suddenly all of the the gaps in the plot are there, and you're like, I want to connect this story and tell people, but I, I don't remember what happened. And that, that's just a legit function of the brain. You know, it, it keeps in enough of the pieces to stimulate your mind when you're in that state. But there, it's not like it's uh, J.K. Rowling coming out with a seven-book series. So maybe for some people, but I definitely fit that statistic myself. And the last one I wanted to share because it's just a great culmination of not only these benefits, not only these these fun facts, and of course we want our, our running to be one of the benefits as well, but I think it's just a great rebuttal to that societal pressure that you need to be working super late hours or getting up super early to be quote-unquote productive and that rest is should be shoved to the side. The last fun fact I have is that human beings are the only mammals that willingly delay sleep. Think about your dog, think about your cat. When they're tired, they just cash out. When they're tired, it's like, hey, body's telling me I need a nap, I'm gonna take a nap. Or body's telling me it's time to go to bed, I'm, I'm going to bed for the night. And that is just something we all need to be aware of that we should not differ from that. If every other mammal in the animal kingdom is doing this and is complying with their bodily requirements to get sleep, then we probably should too. There's no reason that we should put pressure on ourselves not to, and you're going to tap into those negative consequences that I talked about earlier on. So, Certainly a very different edition of Coach's Corner than we usually have, but like I said, it's the last time I'm going to say it today. If you're not getting adequate sleep, you can throw out everything else we're going to talk about when it comes to training uh, because you're you're not going to be able to perform to your maximum potential. And, and like I said earlier as well, it's more than just a running benefit here. You're going to be sharper at your job. You're going to be able to remember more things, be less scatterbrained, more organized, more intentional in your social relationships. So much of that derives from sleep and resting and not putting too much on yourself. And if you're one of those people who 
who hits me with the, Scotty, you don't understand. I can't have adequate sleep because of X, Y, Z. Uh, the, the two things I would say is, number one, what are you doing to prioritize that sleep? And number two, just do the best you can. Maybe you can't get the eight hours. Maybe you got young kids or, or a puppy or whatever. But just do the best you can because your body and your brain need it. So that's it for this week of Coach's Corner. Quick break, and then we're going to dive into our Oregon Relays recap. All right. You know, maybe a little bumpy there at times in the Coach's Corner. I'm not much of a a science guy, not much of a Bill Nye science guy myself, but I think there was some good information, and hopefully you can take at least one thing away from that, but I'm really excited to break down some things from the Oregon Relays. Not only was it a fun meet to watch, and it was that final push for me to get that Runner Space Plus account once again up and running, but I have some grievances to pick today. We we may have some hot takes, and for me being someone that never really strives to do that, Uh, This is definitely more in that realm than we usually get, but we have to start with the main part of the meet that that I want to talk about. Alluded to it in the preview last week, and that is what I am now calling the Christian Noble Revenge Tour. So Christian Noble of Lee University in Tennessee, Division Two. Go back to Season 1, Episode 1, if you missed it. We gave a big uh, bio breakdown of Christian Noble. He was the very first athlete that we covered for Runners You Need to Know. And he has had a pretty great track season. A little bit underwhelming in the fall and cross country. But he had a phenomenal indoor track season. And I did my best last episode to hold myself back from really telling telling how I felt about the indoor national meet. And of course, I did a horrible job and, and you could tell how frustrated I was about it. But because we have a little bit more time today, it's casual Friday here in the studio, we're going to talk about what happened with the mile at the Division II national meet. Why it is so, so much of, I have so much of a bone to pick because of it, and what my proposed solution is for the NCAA. And this is not a joke solution. This is a real solution that I think they need to implement. If, if you're listening, competition committee, you're going to want to, you're going to want to throw this in. So Christian Noble is one of those guys not that there's many of them, who has some records in the NCAA for Division II, but he only at this moment has national championships that are distance medley relay. He doesn't have any individual national championships, at least indoors. And because of that, and because of the way he was running all season, it seemed like he had a legitimate shot to get one, at this indoor national meet. And on the earlier end of it, 
they had the distance medley relay, and he had a heck of an anchor on that 1600 leg and brought it back for the win. So they take home the national championship. Of course, I was pulling for my, my Northwood University Timberwolves who qualified, but Noble threw down, um, gosh, I think he split like 353 uh, for 1600, which is like a 355, 356 mile. Absolutely cooked on that. And the event he was entered into individually was the mile. And you watch this race, and I feel like, so I watched it already knowing that he got disqualified, but I'd be curious for someone to watch it without that, or to talk to someone who watched it live, because it's very clear from the way I was watching it that there was not egregious enough contact for him to get disqualified from the race. You are supposed to only be disqualified from a race if there is excessive contact with another runner or the obvious that you step into the infield, you know, you step out of your lane, you know, or if it's a sprint event and you veer out of your lane, you get disqualified for that. That one's pretty easy. I have no issues with that. I feel bad for that runner at the SEC Championships indoors this year who it was either the 3K or the 5K. Um, He got disqualified for supposedly stepping into the infield. And I don't know when it happened. It might have been like the middle of the race. But when he finished, he didn't know he was disqualified. And then later they were like, yeah, we, we have to DQ you and you're not getting any points for this like 13.55K. Anyways, in Noble's case, you watch this race and I can't remember if it was like 800 meters into it or a little bit before or a little bit after. I remember it being roughly between 800 meters and 1,000 meters into this mile race They're going along the straight, the home straight on a 300 meter track. And I think it was 300 and Callum Elson from American International University. I think it is. um, He's trying to pass Christian Noble on that straightaway. And every good middle distance coach in America and I'm sure around the world They tell you, hold the straight, hold the straight, hold the straight. You don't let someone pass you on the straight if you have the ability to hold them off. You want to force them to pass you around the curve so they're covering more distance. Whereas on the straight, they can just get out there on the straight line and then take a tangent into the curve and they're really not running any extra distance. So Christian is not yielding this spot. And he has the inside and he's holding it down. And with his, with his arms, you see him extend. Okay. It's not a shove. It's not a two handed push. It's not an elbow, but you do see an extension. Like I'm holding the line. I'm holding this spot. And anyone who's ever run cross country knows that there's a lot more dirty stuff than that, that goes on in a trail course. (laughs) But he did 
there was contact is the point I'm trying to make. There was contact on the straight. And that runner did kind of bump from from lane two to kind of two and a half, if you will, you know, one foot and two, one foot and three. And then he got back in and didn't make the pass. Later on, the race develops. That runner has a really good surge. He moves to the front, and at the bell lap, he's leading the race. 300 to go, if I have the track size correct. He's leading the race. He's giving it all he has, and Christian Noble closes harder, moves around, completely clean pass, no contact. In the last 50 meters, he passes him, breaks the tape, wins the national championship. And after the race, of course, we don't know who protested this. Maybe the officials made the call on their own. Maybe it was the coach of Callum Elson. Maybe it was another coach who they wanted the extra points. And so they they protested it. Noble gets DQ'd. He gets disqualified in the actual results. And... It just really broke my brain that that we've sunk to a level in the NCAA track and field community where we're taking these written rules so seriously like they do in in basketball um, with these like block charge crazy things that go on. And it's just really really painful to watch as a fan of the sport when you see that race and you know that that contact with like 800 meters to go had nothing to do with the way the race finished and and this guy gets deprived of an individual national championship because of it and the guy who got second who we've all I'm sure at some point been out kicked out sprinted in a race for him to be handed a national title, it just doesn't add up to me. There wasn't enough, in my opinion, for Christian Noble to be disqualified in that race. And I've seen the video, so for anyone saying, oh man, he totally shoved that guy, I guess that's your opinion, but I just saw him holding the line. Yes, there was contact. Yes, that runner moved out a little bit but he didn't fall. It wasn't a two-handed shove. This wasn't Vincent Kiprop in in last year's SEC Outdoor 5K straight up elbowing that guy from Arkansas with like a falcon punch. But in this case, I saw this and I said, you know what? Gosh darn it, I am a member of the media here with this platform. And so I'm going to make a pitch to the NCAA competition committee at how we can fix this. All right, the VP of of my department at work, she is very big on this. Don't ask a question unless you at least have a proposed solution or, or at least an outlook of, hey, I think it could be this. She doesn't like empty questions. And I, I doubt the NCAA competition committee would would like complaints without context. So what I have here that I think could be a solution, and this would be across all divisions, and this would be for indoor and outdoor track and field, 
it is called a two-card system, all right? And I am taking this pretty much right from soccer. I think the way soccer handles fouls is very fair. There is referee discretion between what rises to the level of a yellow card and what rises to the level of a red card. And I feel like when we have the words excessive contact in the rules for track and field, which is subjective, we need the the officials to be able to really define in the moment what kind of excessive contact did we just see. For example, I talked about the Vincent Kiprop, Alabama runner, last year SEC Outdoor Championships. He was kind of getting clipped by a runner from Arkansas. He was not happy about this. They might have bumped shoulders as well, but but it wasn't really too much contact. And he got visibly frustrated, and he elbowed this guy like into the infield. And in my opinion, that one is pretty obvious. I don't think anyone was surprised he got disqualified for that. That would be the red card. That would be automatic disqualification based on that contact, all right? Stepping into the infield, stepping out of your lane, same kind of thing. Like, that's automatic. If there's any leeway for that, then you're, you're going to lose the integrity of the meter measurements of these distances. So that's your red card. Your red card is that falcon punch, that excessive contact that really ruins someone's race. And, and the only really example of, of contact that ruins someone's race not being a disqualification would be an accidental tripping, which unfortunately happens in overly crowded fields. But it, if it's not intentional, you shouldn't be punished for it. So, so that's the red card is like, hey, that was straight up way too much contact. But you can see where I'm going with this with the soccer analogy. There should be a yellow card. There should be a yellow card that is like, hey, we acknowledge that there was some contact there. And if we see it again, or if we see something even maybe to a lesser degree from that runner throughout this race, they're on a short leash now. And if there's more contact, we're going to disqualify them. But instances that are a minor amount of contact, like this in, in that mile, I don't think it's fair to say it rises to the level of a quote-unquote red card. So that's my proposed solution, is that these officials need to step up to the plate and officiate these things in real time. Like, I don't know how many minutes or hours it took after the race to when Christian figured out he was disqualified, but I'm sure it was long enough that he was probably well into his cooldown or even done with it to where he still thought he was the national champion because he didn't do anything that egregious. So just to make a clear hand up, that is one man's opinion. I'm sure other people out there think that it was dirty contact, but I really think we need a system that gives some forgiveness to people for contact 
because these guys are competing for a gosh darn national title. And if you want to make it soft, if you want to make it so everyone has a certain amount of space, then these guys aren't going to contend for medals someday on the world scene. Because those Ethiopian guys and those Kenyan guys, they don't let you just move up. All right. And I call out Paul Chulimo quite a bit because he, he kind of races dirty in some of these domestic races. But guess what? I got to give credit where it's due. The guy's winning medals on the world stage because he doesn't take that from other people. You know, he competes all out for a national title. And uh, let me just say, if we did this two-card system, Chulimo, Chulimo would be getting a lot of yellows. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be very interesting to see for, for his races. But that is just my pitch to the competition committee. And I would be very fascinated to see if anyone agrees with me or if they think that is a, a hilarious idea. But I wanted to talk more about this Christian Noble revenge tour, right? Because he was robbed, in my opinion, from this national title. So what has he been up to on the outdoor track? Well, let's take a look here. Opens up the season, goes to Raleigh, North Carolina, NC State, and he wins the 5K at the Raleigh Relays in a 13:24, And he takes down Patrick Deaver, formerly of Tulsa, now professional, who you may remember was the NCAA D1 10K national champ last year over Connor Mance. So that was the race where Patty Deaver had the stash, Mance made the mistake of shaving his stash, and Patty Deaver took the win in like, gosh, what was that, 2740? It was super fast. And Christian Noble just took this guy down. So that is a big name to take down. And that 5K time, 13:24, number two all time for Division Two. Next week after that, his university, Lee, has a home meet. He drops down to the 800, and he cooks a 149. That's pretty darn quick for anyone who's a long-distance specialist, but especially for Division Two. I mean, that is... All-American contention if he wanted to go all-in for that event. So 149 in the 800. Then we get to Oregon Relays last week. And what transpired there? This is my bridge between the hot takes I just delivered and, and some more potential hot takes we'll be transitioning to. So he goes for the dirty double of the 1500 and the 5K. And anyone who has done this knows that you don't have much time in between those two events. And the 5K is the second one of those two events. So you're going into a high volume race after that 1500. For me in this instance, and when I did it in college, I doubled 15 in the 3K. Um, I will admit it mentally got into the middle of my 1500 a little bit. It, it stopped me from putting in 100% of an all-out effort. 
And instead, I probably put in like 97% because you just have that in your head of like, I got to race again in like an hour and a half after this 1500. But Christian Noble did not make the same mistake I did. All right. He's in a field with Cole Hawker and Matt Wisner and James West, some Oregon alumni some Division One Oregon alumni, and he shows absolutely no fear. So Cole Hawker is in the front pretty much from the beginning of this race, and it was billed as a race. I mean, we knew that the, the next day, the day after, these former Oregon guys were going to go after the four-by-mile record, but it was billed that this on this Friday of last week that they would go all out for their open events because we haven't seen them race in a while and they have a day rest for that four by mile. And Cole, he's in the front at, at 300. He's in the front at 700. Then they're coming up to the bell lap at 1100. And he just didn't have great body language. It's not like he looked terrible or like he, he was injured, but he just didn't look like he had that effortless sprint kick to the finish that we know Cole Hawker typically has. And Christian Noble is right on his heels, and I'm getting fired up because I'm like, this is going to be close between a guy who got sixth at the Olympics and a Division Two guy. Like This is going to be a good finish. They get to the bell lap, 1,100 meters. Cole Hawker's still in the front. And Noble makes a move on the curve. And he gets shoulder to shoulder with him. And I'm like, let's go. This is going to be such a sick finish to the race. They get to 1,200 meters. 300 to go. And Cole Hawker stops. He, he just pulls up and starts walking. And the announcer which I would have done the same thing. He goes, oh, I I guess uh, Hawker was pacing that one. And and later we saw Cooper Tier pace about 3K of the 5K. So it is very possible that he was given those instructions. But I've never seen someone pace 1,200 of a 1,500. And, and the point I'm trying to make before I get to uh, too carried away, is I think Noble was going to take him down straight up. I think he straight up was going to take Hawker down. He ran 336 flat. New Division II record. Shattered David Ribich's 337. And uh, first of all, huge blunder by the announcers. They said he broke the record by seven seconds, like it was a 343. And I'm sitting there like, He's gone under 340 himself this season, and like so has Aaron All in Division Two. So I don't know where they got that number from, but that that was pretty pretty rough to listen to. But I I am dead serious when I say I think he was going to beat Cole Hawker in that 1500, or and I'll I'll leave this open as well. I think Hawker could have beaten him and that's not a a hot take obviously but it would have taken 
pretty close to an all-out effort, like a legit sprint finish by Hawker. And so my conspiracy theory on this one is that Coach Thomas told Cole Hawker, hey, go out and pace this one, but if you're feeling good, finish it, because guess what? Matt Wisner, James West, they ran the full 1,500. They were in the four-by-mile the next day. Why would you, quote, save part of your relay in a world record attempt, but not the other half? Doesn't make sense, in my opinion, unless he's dealing with an injury. But let's be honest, like, you're on 1,200 versus 1,500. You're doing about the same amount of damage on the legs. I saw that as mental weakness. I'm, that's my that's my last hot take today. Uh, I saw that as mental weakness, and I straight up think Christian Noble was about to take him down. So he runs the D2 record in the 1500, has an hour before this 5K with a legit field featuring Olin Hacker from Wisconsin, who went sub-1320 in that race. Uh, solid pacing by Cooper, I will say. He he got him right to like 803, 804 through 3K. So he really set the table for him. But Noble runs 1335 uh, an hour after this 336 effort. Just unbelievable. That time is number seven all-time D2. Of course, I said he, he holds the number two time with that Raleigh Relays. And so they ask him in the post-race interview, like, hey, man, you just had a huge day. Like, why did you do the two events? And, like, what did you do in between the two to even prepare for that? And he's like, between the two events, I just combined my 1500 cooldown and my 5K warm-up into, like, the same two miles. And I ate some gummy bears. And he's like, the reason I did both is I just like to go push myself and challenge myself. And I know that if I'm ever lucky enough to be in the USA trials or, you know, the Olympics someday, you have rounds. If it's the 1500, you've got three rounds to get to that that final. And you've got to teach your body and your mind to be able to handle that. And so I saw that and was like, you know what? The haters the haters unleashed the beast when they took away that indoor national title. And the last thing I have to say on him is we haven't even seen him run the steeplechase this season. And that's what he specialized in last year. So just just watch out everyone on Division Two. Um I never intended to become this like super fan of someone who's really good. I feel like I'm like an Alabama football fan, like rooting for the best person. But circumstantially, I hope you can understand how I arrived as this this mouthpiece for the Division II world. As far as that four by mile record attempt for Oregon. They did not get the record, so shout out to the Irish, my, my homeland, still holding that four-by-mile record from the 80s, but the question is, and, and I know I said 
we were going to have our last hot take. This one's a little different, okay? I'm reporting a hot take that the Instagram community had, which is that the Oregon Ducks are soft. They kind of got called out for running this world record attempt on their home track after they decided to enter that after the On Athletics Club guys said they were going to go for the 4 by mile at Penn Relays. So what does that look like optically? It looks like they're dodging the big dogs. It looks like they prefer a controlled environment where they have the pacing that they like, they they have their home track, sleep in their own beds. These are all things that all of us like, right? So the question I, I think people would maybe ask me is, Scotty, what is the problem with that? If they want to try to get the record in this way, in this controlled environment, what is wrong with that if if it's not in a way that is competing against the best, right? Why is competing against the best better than this fancy-schmancy controlled environment? In the cross-country world that I grew up in, we had a saying, and it is as follows. With great power comes great responsibility. And, and this is an old Spider-Man, Uncle Ben-ism. And it is ironic to me that a coach named Ben, Ben Thomas, does not subscribe to this principle. Because I believe that if you have great power, or in this case, mile fitness, you have a responsibility to race against the best if you want to grow the sport. Do you think someone who's a casual fan is going to look at a time for a record that's kind of a fake event on a result page and be like, oh, that's a really fast time, but they ran it on the track by themselves? Like, no one's going to want to ever watch that again. But if they were in a competitive field and they had to scratch and claw every leg of this relay and you didn't know which of these teams was going to get it and you didn't know if either of them was even going to get under that world record that would be electric and so that alongside with Cole dropping out of what would have been a phenomenal finish to that 1500 it was it was kind of an L for those Oregon guys I'm not gonna lie there was a little bit of uh, Cooper Tier's girlfriend going after people in the comments on Instagram. Not a good look. Not a good look to clap back like that. And I gotta say, I wish these kids, these kids knew the same principles that I was brought up in. With great power comes great responsibility. So as we, we sort of wrap up here, like I said, doesn't make a ton of sense to preview what's going on between Gina Relays and the other meets this weekend because they're kind of in progress right now based on the timing of, of this episode. 
So instead, all I'm going to leave you with is how you can access these if you do want to watch this weekend. So unfortunately, that first one I mentioned, Gina Relays at Hillsdale College, had to shout it out. That was the last meet I ever competed in as a collegiate runner. Uh, it's one of the bigger meets in all of Division Two for the regular season and it draws some Division One teams as well. And uh, blue track. So, you know, they're, they're throwing down some fast times. But unfortunately, that one is not televised. It has been in the past, but um, I could not find any streaming info on that one. So just a, a generic shout out there. The Peyton Jordan Invitational at Stanford University. That one is calling a lot of the big names. Like I said, we're not going to preview it, but Adrian Wildscoot of Florida State who's been a multiple-time top-five cross-country finisher. Um, Julia Haymack of Stanford at her home track. There's some big names there, but it is a Flow Track Pro production. Boo! It is a Flow Track Pro production. Um, I couldn't find much in the way of heat sheets, but they may have just been released after I put together my, my notes here. The Drake relays have been going on. That's a runner space plus. So yes, I have been tuning in. There was the USATF Road Mile Championships Tuesday night. Vincent Ciotti of Oregon Track Club and Emily Lapari took the men's and women's victories, respectively. And we've had a, a nice array of, of different distance events, but I'm not going to lie to you people uh, not that impressive of times. I think the better fields are at Penn Relays and Peyton Jordan as far as long distance goes. Speaking of Penn Relays, boo, Flow Track Pro, again, boo. But man, there, there's some big stuff going on here. Just wanted to point out a couple of things going on. Uh, the biggest one... For sure. Here we go. I knew I had it on the heat sheets here. Uh, a Thing Mo, gold medalist in the 800 meters last year in the Olympics. She's going after a 600 meter world record. And it's a good field. She's going to be pushed really hard in this race. You've got Natoya Gould of Jamaica, Ajay Wilson of the U.S. who just picked up a gold medal indoors in the 800 at World Indoors. Um, you've got Nia Akins, who's a great sprinter for Brooks. Sophia Goryaran. Now, this is a name I would love to spend some more time on. High school junior who runs two flat in the 800 and is also one of the top lacrosse prospects in all of high school. So she is crazy athletic, and that is going to be a big one for sure. Uh, but the last one I want to talk about from Penn Relays is the 4 by mile It is one of the biggest events uh, of Penn Relays. Of course, you had the crazy Ed Chez race of 2015. But in this case, unfortunately, I just wanted to say the on team does not have Morgan McDonald or Jordy Beamish. So it's not really their A team. They still have Ali Hoare, they still have Joe Klecker, 
but I personally don't think they're going to be able to get the record. I would love to be proven wrong, though. Let me get a quick sip of my liquid IV here. Got to get those electrolytes after a workout. Got a, got a good threshold session today. So as we wrap up the show, thanks for hanging with us. If you would like to get in contact with the show, send me an email, chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com with any of your questions or really feedback on that two-card system because I really don't know if that's like a Charlie Day meme crazy idea or if there's some legitimacy to it, but I think we need to change something with the competition rules. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you go the Apple route, leave us a review as well. We, we read all reviews on the air. And lastly, if you'd like to join the trip Chip Time Strava group, all you need to do is follow me on Strava. I will get you added in. So everybody, thanks for listening. Get some sleep, keep working hard, and we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,